0: morning to Christ Central. It's a joy, it's my honor to bring to you God's word. I'm Harold, luckily one of the pastors here. We're going to the end of the Gospel of John. So if you have your Bibles, it will also be projected overhead. John chapter 21, we're just going to start at verses 15 to 19. I've entitled it Broken for Good. John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. Here's where Jesus... Hosts resurrection, appears, provides, and makes breakfast for one of his disciples by the name of Peter. So we'll pick up at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Verse 19. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, this is God's word so far. This Apostle Peter, Simon Peter, used to think of himself as very bold, and he used to think of himself as a bold leader. But in John chapter 18, he painfully came to discover that he was full of fear. He was actually a coward, and he actually could not lead himself. In John chapter 18 in history, Simon Peter, the one who had boasted that I will never abandon you, he betrayed and denied Jesus Christ as God and Savior three times. And so here we have a scene of what Jesus does with Peter after his complete and total betrayal three times. What does Jesus do with someone like Peter? What does Jesus do with someone like me? It's only just two, two parts, and it's beautiful how they come together. First, first, Jesus has to break through. Jesus has to break through. Uh, as your pastor for the last 10 years and ministry up and down the East Coast as well, I find it those who actually grew up religious or in the church or have some Sunday school experience, that the prevailing attitude is deep in our hearts, we say to ourselves, I'm really not that bad. Okay, I find it interesting that those who somewhat grew up in a church have some Bible background, that culturally speaking, we believe, I'm really not that bad. I mean, I'm not as bad as people out there. I grew up in a Christian household. We're pretty good in here. Now, this is exactly what Peter thought, and it's precisely what everybody thinks until you actually meet Jesus. Everybody deep down in their hearts thinks more highly or better of themselves until Jesus breaks through, which is actually grace for Jesus to break through and show what's really wrong. You see here in breakfast, this intimate, relaxing, enjoyable scene. I mean, this is fresh fish caught for breakfast. You would figure, Jesus, don't interrupt it. Just just enjoy this meal. But Jesus does have to interrupt it. He picks the perfect time. And he says three times, Simon, son of John. Now, we just called him Peter. So why does Jesus revert and go back and call him Simon? Well, it's purposeful. Jesus calls out Peter's Former original name his name was Simon and one of the intentions of Jesus here is that Simon I'm going to take you back in time I'm going to have to take you back there and I have to take you back to your most painful bitter betrayal I'm going to take you back to the most painful memory because time doesn't actually heal all wounds just time or forgetting about it That does not mean God forgets about it. Time itself doesn't cover over all sins. And so Jesus has to break through the ease or the comfort or the distraction and the busyness. Sometimes the outright denials and defenses that we put up to really get at us. To really get to the core of us. You see, if you read a psalm in Psalm 51... We're a Christian believer there, well, actually an Old Testament believer, excuse me, what he wrote in verses 3 and 4 is very telling. He confessed, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Here the psalmist says, God, I'm not going to blame my symptoms. We all have symptoms. You might feel tired. You might feel sick. You might feel a malaise. You might feel a midlife crisis. You might feel lonely. You might feel disappointed. Psalm 51, he does not confess the symptoms. He doesn't confess the mood. He doesn't confess the feelings. Also, Psalm 51, he doesn't confess the circumstances. Well, I just changed jobs. I just had a massive relational fallout. I've had a health scare. I've lost my job. I don't know what to do. The psalmist here doesn't blame his mood, the symptoms, or their circumstances. Here's what he confesses. He said, God, only against you ultimately have I sinned. This is my transgression. Now, I'll tell you the beauty and the marvel of that. Until you can see and confess the core of what's wrong, what's broken, Jesus can't heal you. Until you get really underneath all the surface, all the symptoms and all the circumstances to who you have always really been. This is precisely only when and where Jesus can touch you and break you for good. I mean, have you ever heard this little funny saying? Have you noticed Wherever you go, there you are. Have you ever heard that say? Wherever you go, there you are. Oh, how profound, how funny. But how often Jesus has to break through and show us that. It's not the marriage, it's not the new job, it's not your new location. It's not your new relationships. It's not so much around you where you say, I'm really not that bad, not that bad. But until Jesus meets you and speaks to you and exposes your heart, you're on your way to be broken for good. Broken for good. See, this guy Peter, I can relate to him in so many different levels. The more I study it, the more troubling it is to me. Because Peter was once so sure of himself. And Jesus breaks through that certainty, that self-confidence. And he makes his intention unmistakable. Because when he asked Jesus, when he asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? He doesn't just say, do you love me? He says, do you love me more than these, more than these? Now, I take it Jesus is at breakfast with all the disciples, not just one-on-one. And Jesus is saying, comparatively, comparatively. Peter, do you still claim, like you once did, that you love me more than all the other disciples? Because in fact, in Matthew chapter 25 and in other gospels, Peter was the type of guy that always separated himself, elevated himself, It's kind of like the Kobe Bryant of the disciples, sorry. And he always played that his love and loyalty to Jesus exceeded all other folks. He was a very comparative man. He was a very competitive man. He was a very type A, win at all cost kind of man. Those are all euphemisms. Comparative, competitive, type A. All euphemisms were the same thing. What Jesus is pinpointing, Peter is a very, very prideful man. An incredibly stubborn and prideful man. And in order to pinpoint it, I'm going to read verses 20 to 24. After Jesus had told Peter the death by which he would die, the kind of death he would die, here's verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. The one who had been reclining at table close to him and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord... What about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Jesus pinpoints the pattern. Comparative, competitive, type A, win at all costs. He must always be right. He must always come out on top. And what does he do? He tells, well, Peter, you're going to die a certain death that you're not going to like. You're not going to be able to dress yourself when you're old. That is an ominous prophecy. And immediately, verses 20 to 24, Jesus knew Peter would react this way. He said, well, what about that guy? And John goes on to describe why Peter points to john and says what about this guy john calls himself the disciple whom jesus loved that doesn't sit well with a guy like peter john is the guy who could ask jesus the question when they were reclining at table who is it going to betray you And so this hyper-competitive, comparative guy, still who wants to be the right-hand man to Jesus, you see, he wants to be the lone right-hand man to Jesus. And Jesus has to come back and pinpoint for him, but you're not right yet. Peter, your pride, your comparison, your competitiveness, you see, this pattern in your life, what's really wrong and dysfunctional with you? Peter, I've got to point it out because here it is. When you're prideful, you're not actually really following me. When you're prideful, you can't really follow Jesus. When you're filled with yourself or your own ambitions or your own desires or reputation, you actually become afraid. You see, if you're after power, pick anything else but Jesus. If you're after power, you will be weak. If you're after people's applause and approval, you will always be insecure. If you're after control, control. I can manage my life. I can manage this world. I can take care of it all. If you're after control, you're going to feel so, so out of control, always anxious and worried, always frustrated because you realize there's so many things out under my control. And here is why, my friend, Jesus has to break through. Because you really can't follow Jesus all the way till the end when you're following something else. You know, I can't wait till I have this talk with my teenage daughters. One's a teenager, one's not. 14 and 12, Taylor and Elizabeth. And I know the world and her parents have highlighted to them, what are your strengths? What are your strengths? What are your passions? What are you naturally good at? That's a great talk. That's very important. But I think a very necessary talk that this culture doesn't do too well, but Jesus does it, is we shouldn't just ask, what are your greatest strengths? We should ask, what are your greatest sins? What's your greatest weakness? What's your greatest disadvantage? Because Peter is not fit, he's not right, he's not usable until Jesus breaks through. My friend, if you're not aware of what your greatest, you can't identify or freely share what your top two or three greatest sins and struggles and weaknesses are, the things that keep you up at night and you know it's damaging to yourself and to others, I tell you, come before Jesus and his word because it is grace and he'll show you. He loves to break us down for good, for good. Oh, and so Peter here, right at the footstep, right at the the feet of Christ, is exposed in his contentiousness, his envy, his insecurity, his fear, how he promotes himself by criticizing others, how he vies for recognition and validation. And Jesus does this well where he breaks him open. Now, some of us in this room are very used to this part. You've grown up in homes or cultures where it talks about, what are your sins? What is your fault? What is your responsibility? Absolutely true. Jesus has to expose that. But can I give you the analogy if a surgeon with a scalpel cut you open to get to the tumor? I mean, cut open your brain to get to that tumor that's threatening your life. And he just exposes it. There it is. This is the thing that's been hurting you. This is the thing that's been killing your whole life. And he cut you open and just left you there. You'd die. I'd die. We'd all die. And my friend, this Jesus never cuts you open and leaves you on the table to bleed and die in shame. He only cuts you to cover you. He will only hurt you to heal you. He's only going to break you down to make you beautiful and bold like Him. I forget the name of the Scottish preacher who said, For every look at sin, for every look at sin, oh, you got to look at it, yes. But for every look at sin, I declare to you this morning take 10 more at Christ. That should be the ratio. Because if all you do is see how Jesus broke you down, if all you see what's your fault, if all you see is the core of your pride and your insecurity and power and control and approval, if all you see is that, well, what are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? Only Jesus comes along and says, I'm going to break you for good. So that's the second part. First is you haven't really met Jesus if he's never broken you down. You've never really met the authentic, true, historic, risen again from dead Jesus until that spirit, his spirit comes into you and invades all the darkness with light. Yes, it is painful. Yes, it is personal. But it's only redemptive. But here's the second part. Jesus only breaks through to make you more like him. Jesus only breaks through to make you beautiful and bold like him. I mean, with Access Seminar in mind this afternoon, we've got Jamie sitting here. Also, we've got Deacon Election in mind today. I God, providentially, the timing this whole message is with those two really key events of our church in mind, electing deacons and our Access Seminar this afternoon. And Jamie was passing to me this week while we were preparing and praying. said, Harold, you know, this guy by the name of Matt Redman came out with a new song, and it's entitled Gracefully Broken. And I heard it. So rich, so deep, so beautiful, so moving. Classic Redmond with his English accent. Gracefully broken. I wish he had not sent me that song because it was too late. That's such a better title than broken for good. Beautifully broken. Gracefully broken. Do you know that there's no one better who does this than Jesus? And some of you in this room are into being brutally broken. Bluntly broken, angrily broken, harshly broken, abusively broken, not loving broken. It's not gracefully broken. It's guilt-ridden broken. But my friend, until you come and meet Jesus, who does it better than anyone else, who does it beautifully and gracefully, do you know that your hurts will never heal? Oh, look at what Jesus does with Peter. Peter, Simon Peter, I'm going to call you out by name. I'm going to go back to your original name. Oh, that's painful. But what is Jesus really signaling at the same time? G- Peter, I'm going to take you back in time. Call you Simon when you betrayed me three times. But I'm going to call you out not just because you betrayed me. I want to communicate to you. I'm going to start all over with you. Simon Peter, Simon Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Oh, as painful as it is, you know, I'm going to ask you the question three times because you denied me three times in one night. And as painful and as humiliating and as piercing that may be, Simon Peter, my agenda is not just to give you pain. My agenda here is to show you that I completely forgive. And I'm going to completely restore for every time you betrayed me. I will cover you with my love. And if you also observe this other fact, why is... Jesus doing this with Peter, with all the disciples at breakfast. Shouldn't it be in a private room behind a closed door? Why is this in not uh, in, in, in confidentiality? He does it publicly. I'll tell you why he does it publicly. It wasn't to humiliate or embarrass Peter. It was to publicly recommission him. Publicly identify the man who failed to lead. I'm going to call him again now to lead. This is what Jesus is in the business of doing. There's a strong, explosive word in verse 15. And all we're going to do is play with this word for the rest of our time. Verse 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And then it says, Peter was grieved. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, grieved, grieved. See, on the one hand here, Jesus grieved Peter for good. But there's another kind of grief that's natural. It's filled with self-pity and self-absorption. It's bitter, it's angry, it's vengeful, and it's self-destructive and leads to death. The Bible describes actually two different kinds of grief. The world, naturally, no one teaches you how to do it, but you do it professionally. Grief is self-absorbed, self-pity, self-destructive. It leads to death. It won't really change you. That's a natural type of grief. But over here, the Bible describes a redemptive brokenness, a graceful brokenness, a beautiful brokenness, the kind of breaking that rebuilds you for good, and that's the kind of grief that Jesus brings, and it leads to life. In other words... How sin or your failure or your weaknesses, how it grieves you makes all the difference. How you hurt makes all the difference. How you grieve makes all the difference. You see, a good, churched, religious person will grieve in order to get forgiven. But only a Christian grieves because he or she is so forgiven. A good religious person grieves because you're afraid of rejection. Please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. But a Christian grieves because he or she she is so accepted. I can't believe you stayed with me this long. A good religious person grieves to earn or force love. A Christian grieves because he or she is just so, so absolutely loved. A good religious person grieves over your wounded pride or loss of reputation or name or job or income or relationship, but a Christian person grieves not for what you lost and how you wounded your own pride. A Christian grieves for wounding the Savior. One kind of grief has no view of a loving Savior. You're on your own. You fix it. But a second type of grief is grief before a lover. The second type of grief is grief before a savior. The second type of grief occurs before the most secure, healthy, safe, functional, fully human therapist, counselor God all rolled into one. Jesus. You know, there's many, many times where a spouse will come and and say, and it's usually, sorry, the the wife to the husband, honey, I've had it. I've had it. We've been married two years. Some of you six years, 15. I've had it. I'm so sick and tired. I'm so exhausted by what you do. Just fill in the blank. I'm done. I want out of this. You have no idea how much you've hurt me. Then the husband responds, usually, I had no idea it was this bad. I didn't know it was that bad. And then the husband flies into a panic. And the husband has to quickly figure out, oh, you got to figure out pretty quick. How do I keep my wife? How does my marriage survive? How do we reconcile after I've hurt my wife this much? And there's two roads that the husband can take. There's only two roads the husband can take. You see, the first road is the husband can grieve because his pride, his reputation, his self-worth, his value and significance has been wounded. And the husband can grieve and hurt and try everything because you're trying to restore yourself. In other words, you're just more hurt because you got hurt. But the second way that the husband can walk down, that's the road less traveled. That's the supernatural dynamic road. No one does it well. Is instead of you grieving over how much you've been hurt, is that you grieve over how much you have hurt her. Instead of grieving over the consequences of your hurt, you grieve over the one that you have hurt. Again, there's one type of grief that's self-absorbed and will lead to self-destruction, my friend. But there's another grief that's in the presence of love and salvation that only Jesus can bring. And time and time and time again, I'm sad to say that for every husband or spouse... That grieves temporarily because of the first reason, you're just hurt because you got hurt. It's temporary. You slide back to your old ways. You don't really change, you don't really repent. But the people who really look upon their wife or their husband and replay, I can't believe you stayed with me this long. I can't believe you've been this gracious. I can't believe you've been this loving. I can't believe all the good that you have been for me. And you are really grieved to the core of how you have grieved and hurt the other person. That's when marriages are revived. When they're broken for good. And they're humbled and healed. Don't you see this is what Jesus does with Peter? This is exactly what Jesus does with Peter. Peter was so sure, so proud. And then Jesus had to break through. And then notice what happens to him now. He's no longer so self-righteous and self-reliant. Before in all the gospel records, Peter would say stuff like, "I I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Jesus, you don't even have to complete that sentence. No, I know, I know, I know. know. Don't teach me. I'm going to teach you. That was Peter. Before this episode, he said, I can, I can, I can. I can do all things. I can do all things through myself who strengthens me. I can accomplish all things. I will, I will, I will be there. I will be there. Jesus, I will be there. No one else. I will. And then you come to this episode in John chapter 21. And what do you hear him say for the first time? Here's what he says, Lord, you know. Lord, you know. You know, you can, you will. And Jesus tells him, as you grow old, you're going to do two things you can't do for yourself anymore. Someone else is going to have to dress you someday. And you're going to go someplace that you don't want to go. How Peter has been transformed. Because in Luke chapter 5, in a similar setting with a similar provision of fish, when Jesus comes to Peter, here's what Peter, quote, screams. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. (laughs) Natural reaction. Get away from me. I am a sinful man. Peter could not bear to get close to Jesus because he could not bear to get broken down. But now here in John chapter 21, Peter has been so changed that he can be broken down, cut to the core, and still fall into Jesus' arms. That's the love of God. Run away from Jesus or you can run and move toward Jesus. That is only by the love of God that that change can happen. Let me just close with this. Here's an application. What do you do, my friends? What do you do? What's your natural reaction when your greatest pattern or sin or weakness is exposed? I'm not talking about, yeah, you should be heard if it's bluntly and harshly exposed. Sure. Sure. Or when someone cares enough for you and loves you so much and they speak the truth to your heart, what do you do? Are you undone? Are you devastated by that? Do you withdraw or do you fight back? I'll tell you what you do with your sin and what you do with the grief of your sin makes all the difference. You're reacting like someone without the gospel. Because if someone critiques you or corrects you or shows you some sin or flaw, character flaw, that's been there for a long, long time, and it eats you up, you get more hurt that you've been hurt. My friend, you're forgetting the gospel because you're basing your life on the love of something else. It's certainly not on the love of Jesus for you, which is absolute, never changes. And it is his love that would break you down for good. You know, here at Christ Central, our grand vision, our grand vision is that every single person would become more like Christ in community and compassion. There's three C words right there. Our grand vision, what we dream and ask Jesus to do is everyone would become more like Jesus Christ inside out in community and compassion. Now, if you think, stop and take a a think about it. Those three C words, it's actually our criteria of who we should vote for today. All of our leaders and offices of our church should fit into those three Cs. Christ, Christ, Christ. Will you do it? Will you do it? Can we count on you to do that job? Well, if you're like Christ, you will. Faithful, reliable, honest, committed, self-controlled, trustworthy. Will you do it? You will if you're like Christ. Oh, the question of compassion, compassion, growing in compassion. Well, I'm talking about a gifting there, a skill set. Can you do it? Can you do it? Please, Pastor Held, you should not be in charge of anything to do with facilities or maintenance or money. Yes. Can you do it? Is that your competency? Is that your skill set? Is the Holy Spirit gifted you in this area? Are you enabled? Do you have a proven track record? So Christ answers, will you do it? Compassion answers, Can you do it? Oh, but the last one might be the most important. It's community. Community. Do we want you to do it? That's why we vote. Do we as a community here see that you're like Christ, that you have compassion, and that you're loving, joyful, peaceful, gentle, invested, contextualizing, committed, and held accountable? Oh, the things that Jesus does with, P- with Peter is <laughs> exactly what he does with us. And I'll tell you, my simple, my simple summary of the most crucial mark that makes anyone fit to lead or be used in the church of Jesus Christ is not what you think. And it would be a standard that I ask you fully hold upon me. And I ask, that's what we look for here as leaders and officers of the church. Here it is. Here's the most crucial mark. Can you be loved after you fail? Can you be healed after you're hurt? Please don't get into ministry if you think you're not going to get hurt. Can you be healed after you're hurt or you hurt someone else? Are you broken for good? There are more vibrant, passionate, winsome witnesses of people who've been broken for good, the Bible says, and even the angels who've never been broken. The gospel goes out more loud and clear Through people who didn't get it right, but got it all wrong. Because that's why Jesus came down. To not insist you get it all right, but to love and heal you when you get it all wrong. So is the church. And so church history concludes for us what actually ended up happening to Peter, just as Jesus prophesied. Eusebius, in 61 AD, recorded that under Emperor Nero's reign, on one dark morning... Peter was forced to stand and watch his wife get crucified. Man, I've given this three, four times before, but I can't. Peter, Peter was forced to stand and watch his wife get crucified. And he stood before his wife, and this is what he told her. Remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. That night, back in the dungeon, Peter's jailer became a believer and follower of Jesus. The next morning, Peter could not dress himself or go where he wanted to go. But he stretched out his hands as the crossbeam was girded on, and at his own request, he was crucified upside down because Peter did not consider himself worthy of dying the way Jesus did. Some of you, myself included, still try to die for Jesus, and you're going to die trying. The gospel is that Jesus heals and loves the most broken sinners. He breaks through for good. So you do not have to prove yourself. You do not have to save yourself. You do not have to overwork yourself. You don't, have to over, you don't have to over anything. Jesus has done everything already. And this gospel is what made Peter new. This gospel is what made Peter usable and fit. Has it done the same with you? Has it done it with me? Let's pray.